friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. Welcome back. <laughs> My computer froze. I feel like I feel like I'm half alive right now anyway so yeah that's true katie isn't doing super well right now she's not feeling great let's hope it wasn't the food you ate because food poisoning is awful yeah it just like came out of nowhere like 15 minutes ago and i just am like it kind of is taking my breath away yeah good timing well good thing it's my week today you don't have to do too much talking (laughs) yeah uh what was i gonna say oh i tried to post a poll today on instagram to ask everybody if they preferred like real maple syrup to table syrup if you listened to last week's episode you know what i'm talking about um and instagram stories aren't working today i don't think they're working for anyone because i've seen a few people post that uh theirs haven't been working either but it's not showing that anyone's even seen it and i don't think that's possible if it was working. So anyway, I might have to post that one again later at a later date, but it didn't work for me today. Instagram has actually been in general really working against me. Yeah, it's like they took the week off. Yeah, like I have worked really <laughs> This is such a silly problem to have, but I I worked I know what you're going to say. I worked really hard to draft a bunch of posts in advance so that I could kind of like get up myself ahead on episode posts and reels and content and stuff like that because it can be really overwhelming for me if I'm behind and every single time this week I went to post one of my drafted posts and actually not this week like for the last few months it breaks I hit post or I share or whatever the button is and I get a red x and I can't and it it breaks and I can't get it back and anyway they're working against me. Yeah, the Instagram fairies are just canceling your posts every time you go to do them. That's terrible. Anyways, um, that's not a problem that we need to talk about today. Today we are talking about a survival story. This is a first for our podcast. We haven't done a survival story before, so I'm very not excited, but I'm I'm happy. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking Someone forward to survives. Sh- yeah. Well. Okay. Yes. But I'm looking forward to sharing this story with everyone today, just because it is so different and it's a really amazing survival story, and uh, it kind of opens up like a, a a conversation that we've had many times as well on this podcast, just about um, sex offenders, early release, there not being enough provisions in terms of being able to keep them behind bars and keep children safe. It's a conversation we've had more than once on the podcast um, with other sex offenders that we've covered. Um, So yeah, we are talking today about the survival story of Zach Miller. And I don't think we have much else to go over before we get into the case today. Just as a friendly reminder, thank you to everybody so much who has rated and reviewed our show in the last couple of weeks since we kind of mentioned it. Um, We've really seen the ratings go up. We did hit that 4.5 and we just really, really, really appreciate everybody doing that. So again, if you love the show, you haven't already, make sure to go um, wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, and rate and review so that uh, our show gets some traction and that rating goes up. Share with your friends. Hey, we three new three new ratings since the last time I checked because I just looked again. <laughs> so thank you. We're on a ratings kick. Uh, it really, really, really does help the show. It, it's a, it's an under, <laughs> underrated, if you will, area. I think that <laughs> pun intended that tends to get like that we don't always focus so much about because it's yeah yeah. Anyways, uh, okay. So our our case today it takes place in the summer of two thousand six was a regular summer in Whitewood, Saskatchewan for Zach Miller. Zach Miller was just an ordinary 10-year-old boy in 2006. Uh, He has bright red hair and freckles. He's very recognizable to anyone in their small town. 
Yes, yeah, super, super cute. Um, he's the youngest of six kids to his parents, Lyle and Pam. And Whitewood, Saskatchewan. I have an Aunt Lyle, or sorry, yeah, an Aunt Lyle and Aunt Pam. Yes, you do, actually. I was going to say yeah, Uncle Lyle, but no, you have an Aunt Lyle and an Aunt Pam. Yep, you met them. I did. That was at your 30th birthday when I had a broken leg. Oh my goodness, and you had that hilarious space boot with the handle. Yes. And I love I, that thing. That was my peg leg, the iWalk 2.0. I still have it. Well, I would hope so. You paid enough for it. I should sell that. You should sell it. Anyway, Any back to Zach. Back. Yeah. We're going to... No, cut that out. Whitewood, Saskatchewan is approximately 175 kilometers east of Regina and located midway between Brandon, Manitoba and Regina, Saskatchewan. And Whitewood has a population of under a thousand people. So we're again in quite a small town. This is also a thing, apparently. Yeah, we're also in like the the prairies in Saskatchewan. So this is a farming town. There's a lot of flat farms. Oh, I drove through there. Yes. Not much to see. No, a lot of... Roll through there twice. Didn't notice the difference either. A lot of fields (laughs) and farmhouses. Very industrial. Whitewood is the administrative headquarters of the First Nations band governments of the Ochapowache and the Chachacas Cree. Whitewood is situated at the crossroads of two major highways, the Trans-Canada Highway, which runs east and west, and the Saskatchewan Highway 9, which runs north and south from the U.S. border to Hudson's Bay, Saskatchewan. Got it. Lyle and Pam Miller bought 640 acres of farmland in Whitewood, Saskatchewan in 2002 with the dream of raising their children on a fun, on a fun farm of pigs, horses, sheep goats living the dream uh by 2006 their family farm was fully operating they sold eggs like at a stand at the end of their driveway and cucumbers and they just had a full family fun farm in operation cute It was July 23rd, 2006 when a man who introduced himself as Robert Summers arrived at the Miller farm The man told the family that he was new to town and introduced his 14-year-old nephew to them. Pam said that the man was a very amicable, smooth talker and seemed like a nice guy. The man and his nephew bought some eggs from the Millers that day and then they left the property. Okay. A few days later, on July 29th, the same man and his nephew arrived at the Miller farm to help with Uh, To get help with a blown tire, Um, the man said that his tire had blown and it was flat and they were asking Lyle for help. So Lyle helped Robert replace the tire by driving him to the mechanic shop OK Tire at around 7 p.m. while his nephew remained at the farm. Lyle and Robert eventually made it back with a new tire and Pam invited both Robert and his nephew to stay for supper after. This is just the kind of family that the Millers are. They're super friendly. Yeah, willing to help anyone. Also, like, it's a small town, and they just helped you out with something, so why not offer to do something back? An act of service is a great thank you. A hundred percent. Well, they would have just helped him out with something and then offered them dinner. But yeah. Oh, wait, so he helped them and made them dinner? Well, uh, Lyle and Pam, like the Millers, helped Robert with his tire by driving him to the tire shop and oh, then when they came they're just really nice people then yeah then when they came back pam was like oh would you also like to stay for supper again they're just really really nice people Damn. like you said it, it, do yourself it's a small town i feel like this is very standard in a small town you have you know people are very welcoming it's very wholesome my aunt pam is also a great host yeah, it's very wholesome <laughs> Uh, So Pam would later recall, though, that this was a particularly normal interaction, except for she found one thing odd when they came in for dinner. Um, She said that Robert's 14-year-old nephew sat in the living room and didn't eat. And everybody else was eating dinner in the kitchen um, or in the dining room. And when she offered him some food, Robert, the man, actually declined and said that the boy was fine. 
So they did go on to plan a play date for the 14-year-old boy and um, Zach the next day on July 30th. Um, so Robert and the boy left and they were to come back the next day when the boy was going to play with Zach because he was looking to meet some new friends before going to school. Um, Robert yeah, had said that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they just moved here. They were looking for him to meet some kids. So they were going to go out and play. Understandable. Yeah. So the next morning arrives. This new boy arrives to play with Zach and the two leave to go exploring. The two boys set out on their bikes and went to explore a nearby farm and Pam told Zach to be back by lunchtime. So what nobody knew at the time, however, was that the 14-year-old boy that Zach had just left with on his bike had actually been abducted a week earlier in Winnipeg, Manitoba by Robert Summers, who was actually not Robert Summers and was 35-year-old notorious Canadian sex offender Peter Whitmore. What the fuck? Yes. So a little bit about Peter Whitmore. Um, I could, we could probably do a whole episode on the crimes of Peter Whitmore and maybe we will another day. I really want this episode to be about Zach's survival story, but I am going to go over some of the things that Peter Whitmore was found guilty of prior to this interaction. Please do. So his sexual offenses against children began in 1993. In the year 1993, Peter Whitmore received a 16-month sentence against five children, which included invitation to sexual touching and sexual interference. He was released early after serving two-thirds of this sentence. Okay. Nine days after his release... He sexually touched an eight-year-old girl after taking her from Guelph to Toronto, Ontario, and was sentenced 56 months for that crime. Now, from the information that I can find on this one, he actually, like, made friends with his cellmate in jail during that 16-month sentence for his first offense and mm -hmm. found out that this guy had a son that he was trying to get custody back of. Um, and I don't know if he offered to pose as a child protective services offer or uh, officer, sorry, or if he told this guy he was a child protective services officer in an interaction. Uh, but he essentially ended up going to this woman who was the mother of this guy's son um, after finding out that she also had a daughter and told her that he was a child protective services officer stating that her son's father wanted visitation of their shared son and suggested when she got upset that he take their daughter out of the home to like remove her from a stressful situation just like for the afternoon. So the mom agrees doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so the mother of this child agrees to have this, what she thinks is a child protective services officer, take her daughter just like for a drive so she can process or deal with this information. It doesn't make any sense. And then he took her from Guelph to Toronto and sexually abused her. So yeah, he was sentenced 56 hell? months for this crime. He is highly manipulative. As we know, yeah, sounds like many it. of these types of criminals are, especially these like child sexual predators. They're very manipulative. They show absolutely no remorse. They often won't even admit that they've done anything wrong. Um, and we saw it actually in a previous case that we covered um, of a sex offender in Vancouver as well. It's like very similar behavior where they're just like, nah, I'm not going to change. I'm good. This is who I am. Yeah. So yeah, he was sentenced 56 months in jail for that crime. By 1995, Peter Whitmore had been convicted of sexual offenses against seven children, but admitted to psychologists while in prison that he had more victims and guessed the number to be 10 or 11. In 1995. Oh my God. I know. It's disgusting. 
And and it only gets worse. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, I, I guess I should have given a warning. I feel like all of our episodes just come with like a, a non-labeled warning. They they always they all have um, a viewer listener discretion to them. But this one specifically has a lot of crimes against children. Yeah, that's unfortunately what we choose very frequently. So very blanket trigger warning for our show. Yeah. In 1995, during Whitmore's second sentence, a psychiatric assessment of him described him as, quote, a high risk of general recidivism and a high risk for violent recidivism, um, which is your likelihood to reoffend. Yeah. His file at the time also noted that Whitmore acknowledged engaging in sexual acts with 10 or 11 uh, more boys under the age of 12 than he had been charged with, as I just said. Two years later, another report conducted uh, after authorities found inappropriate pictures in his cell found a, quote, high risk for maintaining and entering his crime cycle and for continuing to reinforce his inappropriate sexual responding to children. Uh, he also scored a 30 out of 40 on the psychopathy test by psychiatrists while incarcerated. Wonderful. Yeah. The average oh person God. for context, like the average person with no criminal history will often score five or less. Um, and yeah, a, I mean, we all have one or two weird thoughts or misinterpret something or whatever. A score of Jeez. 30 or higher is basically just like, you are a psychopath. Broken. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not, yeah, just like that is your diagnosis at that point. That's yeah. high enough. On the same day as his release in December 4th, on December 4th, sorry, 1999, for that 56-month sentence, Peter Whitmore failed to report to his parole officer on the same day as his release and <laughs> fled to Mexico. Oh, my God. At least check in and then flee. He wasn't gone for very long before he was captured. Uh, he was eventually sentenced to one year for failing to comply with his conditions um, in February of 2000, between the years 2000-2001, Whitmore was convict convicted of breaching the terms of his release twice, once for this Mexico flea and another for being in the company of young children. Um, he was released early from his one year for failing to comply. But nothing for being around children? No, he got one year for each of those, but for one oh, okay. of the sentences, he was released early. And by the way, these early releases are all like just the regular two thirds. He served two thirds of his sentence, just like statutory so release. No, nothing special. No, yeah. it's just statutory release, but it's still ridiculous to me that somebody who as who is obviously at a super high risk to reoffend, and I don't go into this too much but is known to have inappropriate conduct with other inmates would continuously be given early release like part of part of statutory release is that you are, are on good behavior you're on good relatively goodish behavior yeah just it boggles my mind that he continuously was given this this feels like another one of those like oh we don't want to deal with them so let's just give them back but you can't just give him back it. because he's sucks. going to victimize children. I know. <sighs> okay. Breathe, breathe, breathe. After Peter Whitmore's early release in 2000, he told a newspaper, quote, I'm not going to reoffend because if I do, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. I don't want to harm anyone else. I've made that promise to myself. Mm -hmm. just now one month later he was arrested by toronto police when they found him with a 13 year old boy in a hotel room gross in a hotel room mm -hmm. yeah he also like again He's highly manipulative parents too he lures children and he is also known to like groom them and then use them to lure other children well like this one kid he's using right now to get zach Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I'm following. So, yeah, he 
uh, was arrested for this offense with the 13-year-old boy in a hotel room on November 30th, 2000, sentenced to another year for failing to comply in March of 2001. However, he was released early again in November of 2001. Yes. Why? Why? Statutory release. But he's not being good. He's just wait until you see uh, or you hear another report about his like likelihood to reoffend. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's one hundred percent. Not shocking. No. While on early release in 2002, Peter Whitmore failed to check in by curfew and fled from Toronto, Ontario to Chilliwack, B.C. When police finally found him and searched his home and found uh, and searched his home, sorry, they found photos of children, latex gloves, lubricant, and zip ties. Disgusting. Yeah, if your food earlier didn't make you sick, that will. He was arrested yeah, in. Really yeah, he was arrested. Dragging it down here. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. I can't. I just. This one's really awful. And also, shame on our justice system in so many ways in this case. Oh, without a doubt. It's. I don't think that that's even worth arguing. That it's just like shame on this entire system because what the hell? We're failing society in this case on so many levels. Mm, that's an understatement. Yeah. Whitmore was arrested in June 2002 for breaching probation. This is for fleeing from Toronto to Chilliwack and then the stuff found in his home. Um, he served three years in jail and he was released in June 2005. Whitmore was again in prison in 2005 for breaching probation after he was found with a five-year-old boy. Another psychological assessment conducted on him near the end of his sentence said his sexual deviance had not been fully addressed and remained a significant risk factor. He was released two days later. Two days. Yes, and his it's likelihood to reoffend system you're right it, no this is it is embarrassing as hell his likelihood so to reoffend in this case or like at this point by psychiatrists was considered 100% over a 7 to 10 year period wait what yeah and then they were like hey have a good one bye we'll manage you from here afar yeah You'll just you can just like report in, not like you haven't breached probation a hundred thousand times two days after. Yeah. yeah, like this guy is shown to be unreliable and inconsistent in his ability to get himself to appointments or check in with his parole officer. So why are we releasing him if he has an inability to check in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let let alone the fact that everybody is saying his sexual deviance has not been fully addressed. It remains a significant risk factor. He has no interest in not reoffending, essentially, but sure. See you later. I mean, if he had any pattern showing to not reoffend, it would be nice. Yeah. We don't have that though. Clearly. So for the next year after this release, Peter Whitmore was required to report regularly to police for monitoring. These conditions expired on June 12th of 2006, and at that time, the police in Chilliwack, B.C. were, like, preparing for another peace bond that would require him to continue to report to them and be monitored regularly by police. However, before this order was implemented, he took off to Alberta. <laughs> so as a result monitoring of peter whitmore by any law enforcement agency completely stopped and it was one month later that he arrived at the miller's farm i mean i wouldn't say it stopped i would say they failed yes once again they failed 
So what we know now is that from Alberta, Whitmore fled to Newfoundland, where he briefly lived in Conception Bay South, which is a town west of St. John's. He told people in the area that his wife had recently died and that he was looking to relocate there with his two children. Nobody in this neighborhood knew of Peter Whitmore or that he was a convicted pedophile at all. Um, He had fled there after failing to show up to a court-ordered meeting in June 2006 in Alberta that was scheduled for him after he ran away Um, because that's what he does. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, There in Newfoundland, he actually managed to befriend a young boy and paid him $40 in exchange for the chance to touch him inappropriately. Uh, Court records indicate that he touched the boy's genitals over clothing, but that the boy became frightened and fled. So just constantly victimizing more children everywhere he goes. I hope the kid had the money so that when they looked into it, it would be weird for a kid to have that much money after such a story and things like that that it would just help the case not that i hope the kid got the money yeah yeah no for sure soon after that so after he left newfoundland he ended up in winnipeg manitoba where he uh, abducted the 14 year old boy that he would end up passing off as his nephew when he arrived at the miller's Um, Again, there is a lot more that I could tell about Peter Whitmore and his crimes and his story. Um, He is considered one of Canada's most notorious sex offenders and a huge example of somebody falling through the cracks of our justice system and the fact that there's massive holes in it for people like this. So I will do another episode on the crimes of Peter Whitmore another day. But again, I really just want to stick to the survival part of the story for the rest of the episode. I like that. I'm game. Yeah. So we're going to jump back to the farm. Um, The two boys obviously left on their bikes to go exploring the neighborhood. Pam Miller returned home that day at around 1.30 p.m. to find that the boys were still not back. Uh, They had been out for a couple hours at this point and she had told Zach to come home by lunch and he wasn't the type of kid to not come home when he was told. So she decided to take out their farm quad to go check on them, see if she could find them. So badass. Which is awesome. And this is the life that I would like to be living. And what I mean by that is farms and quads and just like ripping around, not in a car to go do stuff. Yeah. Agreed. So Pam was able to trace their bike path back to a neighboring farmhouse about a mile west from their home. And it was there that she found Zach's bike neatly parked on the side of like the house and no sign of the boys. Um, This was at about 3 p.m. And this might this might sound like normal, but. Pam immediately knew something was wrong because she said that Zach was like not a neat child at all and would never park like his he bike like that. He would just dropped his bike outside the house. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like he would yeah, just. Yeah, that's like someone took the bike like out of the car and carried it over and set it there kind of thing. Yeah. Like kids drop their bikes out of excitement for what they're doing. They don't. Unless you're oh. like, I, I probably would have parked my bike because I was like. We bikes on the lawn. I was like a weird little neat child. So I probably didn't do that, but. No, you probably didn't, but every other kid out there did. Yeah, exactly. Just drop your bike. Right. So Pam immediately went back home to call Lyle, and together they called the police to report Zach missing at 3.30 p.m. that day. Okay. And sorry, what time did he leave in the morning? Do you know? Did you say? They left in like the early, later later morning. I think that they probably would have left like closer to 10, 30, 11. Like they were only supposed to be out for a couple hours and come back for lunch. It wasn't supposed to be this like all day affair. Because it said that the boy got there later in the morning, which to me is like 10 o'clock. 10 or later. Yeah. 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 Okay. A police officer showed up at the Miller's farm that evening after they had uh, Zach had been reported missing and showed uh, Pam and Lyle a photo of Peter Whitmore. Um, they just showed him a photo of this man and 
said, is this who could have possibly taken Zach? Do you recognize this man? And the Millers explained to them that Zach had gone out for a play date with the man's nephew that day. Um, They obviously sensed... He doesn't have a nephew. Exactly. They obviously sensed that the police knew something about the man, that they weren't necessarily... They had his picture. Yeah, and they weren't necessarily, like, telling them everything they could just tell that something was withholding something yeah something's wrong here something's really wrong here um and so pam and lyle asked them if the man was known to police and if he kills kids and the officer replied quote not yet like what i don't know what to say to that it's an awful thing to say but anyway that was their response um the officer then explained to the millers that the man was peter whitmore a convicted child sex offender and that the boy that was with him was a missing indigenous boy from winnipeg manitoba and not his nephew um so this boy had actually been reported missing by his parents to police but it was not treated as an abduction so it was treated like a runaway with no urgency for probably at least 24 hours. And by then, he's in a different province. Kind of what I gathered, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's because they're indigenous, but I'm going to assume there was even less it's just, hurry it's on just, case, I would hope. It's just all around, a, it's just bad. Like, Yeah, I was going to say, I would hope that's not the case, but we always have to wonder if there was extra leniency on timelines and exceptions and stuff just, i don't know i always just feel like it's a thing yeah 100 percent. um so a massive search is launched launched for zach um and this boy with police family and friends searching fields and back roads by 11 p.m on the night of july 30th 2006 uh, saskatchewan's very first amber alert was issued for zach the story quickly made headlines across the country, and Pam said that it sunk in when she saw it on Canada AM the next morning that Zach might be gone forever and that they might never see their child. I can't even imagine that. I remember one of the most vivid episodes of, I think, I'd have to double check, but it was one of the like high security camera type shows that I really like one of the first episodes I ever watched was of this mother whose daughter got abducted in like a Walmart by this older man and then when she's standing with the police at their like post they set up outside she notices that on the license of the guy because it's up on the screen that it has like the SA on it and she's like what does that mean and it's like in that moment I could not imagine knowing your child is with a known sex offender yeah like, how do you even cope with that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that you do. Like, I just don't know if that's something you just... Yeah, and of course... I don't know how you don't hyper-focus on that element. Well, yeah, and at this point, like, they know, based on talking to the police, that Peter Whitmore is doing awful things to their child. There's, mm-hmm. there's no chance that he's not, based on the information that they have. Yeah. Like, if he's not being treated very poorly already, he's being groomed to take the place of the boy from Manitoba if he's rotating through young boys to use that way. I mean, you never you never really know with a it's monster like this. No. Yeah. So the RCMP also issue a Canada-wide arrest warrant for Peter Whitmore for the suspected abduction of the two boys on July 31st, 2006. On August 1st, 2006, so the next day, shortly after 1 p.m., a local farmer named Pat Bougeau went out to check some abandoned farm buildings on a property across the street from his. So Pat had seen the Amber Alerts and had decided to check his own buildings as well as his neighbors across the street um, because he knew that it was vacant. Smart. I mean, we usually hear... When people or kids are missing, they do say, like, check, you know, your sheds, your outbuildings, all those things in case they just wandered through a neighborhood and got lost. Yeah. Um, So while reviewing an abandoned farmhouse on one of his neighbor's properties, 
Pat noticed tracks in the three-foot-tall grass heading into the yard. When he inspected the property even further, he found an ajar garage door with a blue van inside that matched the description of the van police were looking for. He also saw a KFC box that had like bones in it that Peter had like carelessly tossed out the night before in the garage. And so he races back to his own house to like yell at his wife to phone the police and then races all the way back to like be a one-man perimeter and make sure that this guy doesn't try and get away like that ikea commercial where the lady's like start the car it's like call the police a hundred percent this guy was a freaking hero he like went as fast (laughs) as he could and then came racing back to make sure that he could like man the fort just be like no you can't come in here back right he's man in the fort i love it high security good citizen though within 15 minutes of calling the police the rcmp were on scene and swarming the farmhouse to create a perimeter around it um and as they're doing this they're you know doing their thing to create this perimeter and all of a sudden they notice a small red-headed boy just sprinting towards them across a field It was Zach. He had heard the police sirens and managed to escape Whitmore running into the safety of the first police officer that he saw. And we will go over his Zach's point of view of like kind of what happened after he got how he escaped and all that. Yeah. um, In a little bit. Okay. Zach was taken to Regina General Hospital for treatment and observation and a standoff between Whitmore and the police would continue for hours at the abandoned farmhouse. So it was in the afternoon. Were they in the barn where like, sorry, I guess they weren't in the barn where the van was if he came running through the grass. So he had them like hiding in the bush. So I guess we'll get there, kind of. We are going to get there, yeah. We will go over that, but just to give you a little bit of a layout of it, there was a, a house, like an abandoned farmhouse, mm-hmm. and then there's, like, this shed garage kind of dealio. And then there's also, like, another building, and he actually, when he heard the police sirens, quickly moved the kids from the house to mm-hmm. this other building. Other building? Yes, and that's what... Okay. Zach escaped out of so we will go over that in a minute um for sure okay but that makes sense Zach was taken to Regina General Hospital for treatment and observation oh I already said that lord at 2 20 p.m on the afternoon of August 1st the RCMP confirmed that Zach Miller was safe because remember this was like a huge Amber Alert. Nationwide. Exactly. Massive. The country is looking for this boy. So the RCMP confirmed that they found Zach. He's safe. And they give an update that Whitmore and the 14-year-old boy were still inside a building on the farm property. Um, And they did have a perimeter. I know. They had a perimeter surrounding the property with dozens of marked cars, unmarked trucks, emergency response teams, officers. Like, they're just waiting. Okay. Um, and they and? they were negotiating with him. So negotiations with Whitmore continued through the day and the night until eleven. What do you want? I honestly don't know. Oh, fuck. I like knowing what people want because half the time you're like, really? Was that worth it? I might be able to find out when I do my episode on Peter Whitmore. So stay tuned. I would love that. Yeah, Thank you. you're welcome. Uh, so eleven p.m. On that same night. So that's a long time. It's a very long time. It's a very long time to have a standoff in a farm building. Uh, The 14-year-old boy walked slowly out of a building on the farm. Within 10 minutes after this, Peter Whitmore also walked out and the standoff ended peacefully. Uh, He was taken into police custody at approximately 1.30 a.m. and immediately requested to speak to his lawyer in Toronto, Daniel Brodsky. I always think it's weird when people are like, I want to talk to my lawyer. This is their name. Like, I don't have a lawyer just because I have a lawyer. 
Well, pretty cool to have a lawyer. This guy has been in jail like eight times in the last like six years before this or whatever, 10 years before this. So like two more and I get a free one. I think he knows a guy for sure. Yeah. We don't have a lawyer on retainer because we're not terrible people, nor are we celebrities. (laughs) True. Like celebrities, famous rich people and criminals and that's it those are the only people that should have a lawyer on retainer maybe a professional athlete i'm sure there's other categories and i'm missing a lot of people i'm just saying that like oh for sure i'm an average joe and i don't need one so (laughs) pieces of shit like this do Daniel Brodsky actually represented Peter Whitmore between the years of 2000 and 2006, and he later said that this case revealed a serious failure in our justice system, which I think we can all agree is a gross understatement. (laughs) I don't think there's a serious enough statement for how bad this one truly is um, in terms of the fact that our justice system failed so many people in this case. So many children, too. So like many children, families. Not just their families, but those poor the children. 100%. Peter Whitmore's first court appearance was scheduled for August 3rd, 2006. Um, and on Monday, July 23rd, 2007, he pled guilty to 12 charges related to the abduction and sexual assault of both Zach and the other boy that he abducted. These charges included sexual assault causing bodily harm and other sexual offenses, including, uh, sorry, other sexual offenses, kidnapping, death threats, and a child pornography offense. Okay. He was sentenced to life in prison by a Regina judge with no possibility of parole for seven years. Um, But at least we got a life sentence with a parole ineligibility period rather than a fixed sentence. It's still better. Seven years, though. Come on. Yeah. Given his history, you couldn't have at least given him a solid 10 before? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Jesus. I know. And and I think, again, this uh, outlines a flaw in our justice system in that we don't even have, like, sentences that are high enough to give these kind of monsters. Yeah, that's. Right? Yeah. Uh, So Peter Whitmore actually became eligible to apply for full parole in 2013, which was 10 years ago. He (laughs) was 36 years old when he received this sentence, and he is now 51 years old. Um, And a lot of people... He's still incarcerated, right? He is still incarcerated currently. Actually, his most recent attempt for full parole was denied on August 31st, 2022, so less than a year ago, um, in a written decision signed by a Parole Board of Canada members Kathleen Gowanlock and Allison Scott. The decision says that Whitmore, quote, caused great harm to two children in what was a prolonged attack and continues to have, quote, acknowledged sexual, sexual preferences. Um, In their decision denying parole, the Ontario board members uh, reiterated how Whitmore had befriended the family of the 14-year-old boy and eventually kidnapped the boy, sexually assaulted him, and then drove him to Saskatchewan and kept him in an abandoned house. Um, They also outlined how he used this boy to manipulate the Millers and then kidnapped Zach and held both of the boys captive for days, uh, repeatedly sexually assaulting them. The parole board also said, quote, you manipulated vulnerable families into trusting you with their children and subsequently used weapons, domination, and fear to coerce victims. Like, literally, you are, like, ruining those kids. Yeah, you are basically the scum of society. So, no, you cannot exist in it amongst the rest of us. Uh, The board members also said that, quote, it is difficult to imagine a time when risk will be considered manageable in the community in this case. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, The decision to deny parole says that Whitmore had a history of interpersonal problems with other inmates, predatory sexual behavior towards vulnerable inmates, and had been involved in threats and assaults while in prison. I don't know if, like, sexual advances to your other inmates it should be, like, as glazed over, as you've said earlier, too. 
Yeah. A hundred percent. And this was happening prior to this. He is doing what he is known for in prison as well. Yeah. Still being let out. And then getting out early. I mean, not anymore. Thank God we're denying him parole. But this isn't new behavior. Yeah. The, so the board members said that they had also reviewed a submission by Whitmore's lawyer saying that his ability to manage various mental health conditions had improved. However, they also wrote that Whitmore hadn't provided the board with a release plan or indicated what support was available to him in the community. The decision... Um, yeah, so Peter Whitmore currently remains in a medium security federal institution in Ontario. Because of their age at the time this crime occurred, both of the boys' names were placed under a publication ban to protect their identities. Um, Now, obviously, when this case was first occurring, Zach's name in particular was not under a publication ban. And so everybody in his small town knew exactly who the case was about all the details. and what happened because a it's a super small town and word travels really fast and b his face and his name was all over the country it's everywhere so like sure yes it needs to be protected under a publication ban but unfortunately for zach he wasn't really protected anyways in no, that way never yeah However, though, he did feel, Zach felt as he got older, that the publication ban was silencing his ability to tell his own story because he wasn't able to speak publicly about it because legally his name wasn't actually attached to the case in the public. And so... This is what you were talking about with me the other day. Yeah, and so he began a legal battle to try and get the publication ban on his own name lifted so that he could tell his own story. That's fucked. Yeah, and he basically started that battle as soon as he turned 18. On Christmas Eve of 2015, a Saskatchewan court overturned the publication ban, allowing Zach Miller to speak publicly for the first time about what Peter Whitmore did to him and how it affected his life. Finally? That's so sad that it took that long for him to be able to just have his own name a hundred percent and up until that point we didn't have any of the story from his point of view either because he wasn't allowed to speak about it i couldn't imagine not being able to tell my own story yeah and of course like victims names are placed under a publication ban to protect them and it is actually quite rare that a victim of a crime whose name is protected especially from when they were younger asks to have it lifted which is why there was like a court proceeding for it because there isn't i get that part yeah that actually does make it is just really rare and so it's not like an easy thing to do i don't think I, i i want to believe that the courts weren't being malicious in you know making him go through like a court proceeding to do that it's just a really rare instance but I get it, though. It's like if you've never dealt with it before, it's like you kind of need to get everyone together and do it properly. Yeah, it's just it's just not something that comes up a lot. But um, I am so, so thankful and glad that they, you know, they did lift that because victims deserve the right to tell their own story. Yeah, I've never really thought of this situation specifically actually coming up. Yeah, I know. It's super odd. Yeah. So Zach was Zach finally was able to tell his own story for the first time. He remembers the moment he was snatched by Peter Whitmore like it was yesterday. Zach said he remembers exploring the old garage at an abandoned farm nearby his house. And suddenly he remembers being grabbed from behind, duct tape being placed over his mouth, and being thrown into a van. Can you imagine being a 10-year-old? And And explaining that. And just thinking that you're out with a friend. Um it's freaking horrifying. You'd be so scared. So he then remembers being taken to a vacant home and he thought it was about 20 minutes away based on the drive. Um, and it was like around 20 to 30 minutes away. They were in Kipling, Saskatchewan, which is just like a small town. Good on him, though, for having that sense of being like, I think it was about this far at 10 years old. Yep. 
He recognized the man who took him as the same man that had been at their home the day before, the boy that he was with's uncle, and he immediately started to panic. Um, So Zach said in the van ride, he remembers thinking things like, how could this have happened to me? You know, what what are my parents going to think happened to me? How am I going to get myself out of this? Am I ever going to see my mom or dad again or my brothers and sisters? Oh, like, I couldn't imagine his that feeling. Life, I, I know his life flashed before his little eyes. At 10 years 10 old. 10 years just. And I, and I, I think it was I listened to him speak um, or I read it in an article, but he was just saying like, I was such a carefree normal little 10 year old that like again threw my bike because I was excited to go explore something and I wasn't that ever again no he stripped his adolescence from him like I'm sure any carefree feelings he has are just done yeah it just it takes away their innocence right their that their childhood what that's supposed to look like yeah sad So Zach said when they arrived at their destination, he had a dog leash placed around his neck and he was dragged into an old farmhouse. A dog leash? A dog leash. The farmhouse Zach was taken to, uh, like I said, was near Kipling, Saskatchewan, which is around 30 minutes from Whitewood. It had the doors nailed shut and Zach could see that the windows were fully covered. So Whitmore had gone in and boarded up all the windows all the doors were nailed shut um, and then he hid the van in a shed so that it wouldn't be seen from the road this part is particularly difficult to hear so i will give a warning a major trigger warning a major trigger warning Zach said that while he was at the farmhouse with whitmore and the other boy he was chained to a bed for two days Whitmore forced him to watch child pornography and repeatedly sexually assaulted both of the boys. He also held a gun to Zach. He said he cut him, he beat him, and he choked him. Um, And he also threatened both the boys with death and told Zach that if he fought back, he would cut him to pieces and that he would go after his family next. And he knew that he knew where his house was. He's been in it, yeah. Right? He, He knows that. Uh, at night while Whitmore was asleep this part's really cute Zach said that he made friends with the mice Um, he said he was used to making friends with animals because he grew up on a farm and so the mice would like come out of the vents at night and he would share the like little amount of food that he had with them because being raised on a farm he just knew that the animals always come first and so he really he really leaned on these mice to give him a little bit of like courage and strength that he needed to keep going and I thought that was so sweet. It is. It's so nice. It was on the second day that Zach remembers hearing the sound of sirens roaring through the usually very silent farmhouse. As the police were forming a perimeter around the house, Zach heard Whitmore say to the other boy, quote, we got to get rid of him somehow. And it was at this moment that Zach began plotting an escape for his life. Like he was like, shit. Again. Which also shows too that he's prioritized this other boy. So he's probably been grooming him for a very long time. A while at least. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so again, 10 years old, he is like, I got to escape for my life. While Whitmore was distracted, Zach says he found an old hacksaw blade and managed to cut the duct tape, binding his wrists. And as soon as Whitmore turned away, Zach ran through an opening in the like shed and fled the building, ran across the fields, tripped on some gopher holes, and eventually fell <laughs> Into the arms of a police officer. Yeah. Poor guy. Like, I, I mean, again, I know that that's his story and we're, like it's a somewhat happy ending at this point. But the psychological effects that this guy had on these two boys and yeah. any other kid he was in contact with, for that matter. Yeah. 100%. So fucked. So, like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, because the police search and trial all made very national news, um, 
a publication ban didn't really do that much to protect Zach in his own community. He said he realized when the incident was over that he would never really fit in again at school. Um, him and his siblings were teased so relentlessly after this incident with like kids calling Zach gay and all of that kind of stuff for what had happened. Um, Lyle and Pam eventually pulled their kids out and Pam just homeschooled them, like pulled them out of school. He also had to take an AIDS cocktail for a month after he came back. Mm -hmm. So just again, it doesn't just stop when he's found or when the perpetrator is found guilty. Like there's so many other things that go into that process of healing and just dealing with what happened. And a lot of things like AIDS or HIV, they don't show up right away. So you're right. It is a prolonged testing. So even if time goes by and you're starting to feel a bit more yourself again, you can just get like a hit out of nowhere. Yeah. Reminder. Yep. Um, the, the Miller family was also like so consumed by the aftermath of this incident, just with everything that was going on, trying to, you know, protect Zach and the rest of their kids and their family. And just I can't even imagine what that looks like dealing with something like this. But mm-hmm. it meant that they were unable to work on their farm. And in farming, we all know you cannot miss a season. And so because Lyle couldn't work, the family nearly went bankrupt and they had to sell 160 acres of their property to get their debt in line. Jeez. Yeah. That's so sad. I know. The identity of the other 14-year-old boy is still protected by a publication ban. Um, However, in a victim impact statement, he said he wished the ordeal had never happened because then, quote, I would still be me. Yeah, Um, this boy was abducted by Peter Whitmore in Winnipeg, Manitoba on July 22nd, 2006. So literally one day before the two of them arrived at the Miller farm. Uh, Winnipeg to Whitewood is approximately a four hour drive. So it's more than possible that they could have done it like in a day or overnight. Um, Uh Peter had actually been working road construction in Winnipeg and had befriended the mother of this boy. Now, according to the boy's mother, on July 22nd, Whitmore asked her husband and son to go with him to Brandon, Manitoba to pick up a new truck. Um, However, when they arrived in Brandon, Peter claimed to have left the $2,000 cash in Winnipeg. So he asked the boy's stepfather to take a bus back to get the cash for him. And then took off with the kid. I was like, I'll wait. I don't know why that guy left anyway, but okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like... He's a master manipulator, though, so... I was going to say, master manipulator, and it sounds, again, like he had... I'm going to use the word grooming here. um, Like, really, really, really befriended these people to the point where, like... They trusted him, and so it's possible that they were like, oh, just hang out for the day and I'll come back. Who knows? But the 14-year-old boy was last seen at a bus depot in Brandon, Manitoba, and they never came back. Um, So like I said, a missing persons report was filed for the boy, but the the Winnipeg police did not treat it as a kidnapping. Um, and on July 23rd, Whitmore called the boy's parents from a payphone early in the morning and promised to bring him home. The boy talked to his family and told them he was okay, but that he didn't know where he was. And Whitmore and the boy arrived in Whitewood at the Miller's farm for the first time later that day. Jeez, it's such a short timeline. Super short timeline. Tiny. Well, and it just shows you how much he's obviously, like, using fear as well. And he's so reckless, though, at the same time, doing it all so quickly. Yeah, yeah. He literally just flees. There's no planning. It's just like, bye. Uh, So the Miller family plans to build a retreat on their farm for other victimized children and their families who can heal with help from all the animals, just like Zach did. 
which I think it's like a therapy farm, which I think is just I we, we've talked about it before, but I just think it's so incredible when people turn their pain into something so beautiful and like want to help others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach moved to Saskatchewan where he now works in the grain industry and he encourages children and people who have experienced abuse to talk about it saying quote as soon as you talk about it it's going to relieve all this built-up depression anxiety all these negative feelings burning inside of you speak up there's always hope speak out and speak till somebody hears you yeah so he is I mean we always hear that talking about something takes its power away Putting it out there, making it not taboo, immediately makes it, like, powerless, like I just said, I yeah. guess. But it's true. It, it really does. Yeah. Uh, Pat Bougeau, the Good Samaritan who searched the abandoned property and spotted Whitmore's van, was presented with a certificate by the RCMP recognizing yes. his role in the successful apprehension of Whitmore. Um, at the ceremony, they said, quote, your actions led to the safe return of two children and the successful apprehension of a suspect. Bougeot said he was going to f- uh, hang the framed certificate in his office as a reminder of why it's important to go out of your way to help people. Mm-hmm. Do yep. the right thing. Yep. Uh, and just as like a last note, I mean, I think we've we've nailed this point home pretty hard this entire episode, but... Uh, the director of the Canadian Center for Child Protection in Winnipeg after this case said, quote, there's a loop. There are loopholes in supervision. There have been issues with monitoring him. If we can't protect children from a man like Whitmore with all that we know about him and with his history and the work of police to arrest him, what are we doing with the rest of the offenders and how is our system addressing those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said it, girl. I think that... We all can agree with that. If you oh, can't deal with literally the most notorious repeat offender. Getting out over and over again. What are we doing these here? Opportunities. Yeah. Now, a lot of people were really upset that um, Peter Whitmore wasn't given dangerous offender status, which was part of his plea agreement. Agreed. Um, and the reason for this is mainly because... Uh, to designate somebody a dangerous offender would require a full hearing um, where evidence is provided, expert testimony, possibly witness testimony. And the decision here would have been whether to hold a dangerous offender hearing with a trial that could include testimony by young children just to get him that dangerous offender status and that also could have taken a lengthy amount of time or offer a plea agreement that makes him guilty now the reason people are so upset that he's not been given dangerous offender status is that dangerous offender status would give the court the ability to impose an indeterminate sentence on him um and he then it would the onus would be on him to prove that he is not a risk to society um which, to be honest, isn't that much different than a parole hearing. So kind of comparing apples to apples, it is different. But at the end of the day, the onus is still on him at this point. I just am annoyed that they weren't willing to listen and do things properly or more intensely when kids were at risk. Yeah. But now they're saying, we don't want to re-victimize these children. It's right. like... It's very reactionary. at the beginning. It's very reactionary. Yes. That's... Very true. Well, great job. Thank you. This one was really heavy, and um, but I really, really, really wanted a, to share a survival story, especially from Canada. I just don't really feel like you what? hear them very often, and it's such an inspirational and like great story, and I just think it's so amazing how yeah. the, the Miller family, Zach, has acknowledged that this changed their life and was awful and that they will never be the same but are trying to do something positive with that for other people and themselves i just think it's um admirable it's admirable and a really great reminder of how to be a good human yeah it doesn't actually take a lot to be kind no so, yeah, that is the survival story of Zach Miller. Like I said, um, 
we will we will cover the crimes of Peter Whitmore potentially in the future solely just because he is the worst and there are so many cracks in this case and uh it's like how did this happen um but i i yeah. i wanted the focus to be on on the yeah, survival the survival part of the story i wanted this to be zach's story um yeah and not about the the absolute monster that did this yeah yeah no he doesn't need any more of our time yeah this is about zach but yeah that's it if you liked this episode please follow us on instagram is that what i'm so so tired i could lose my mind i know i'm like sitting here and have you noticed it's gone pitch black i'm now sitting recording in the dark i was gonna say the sun has gone down katie's recording in the pitch black i need a vacation if you enjoyed this episode today please follow (laughs) us on social media we could use it at podcast by proxy um don't forget to give a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening spotify and apple is the most helpful to our engagement and our reach um but honestly giving us a review or dropping a comment that you like the show anywhere is going to make us smile so we're not picky Send us case suggestions podcast by proxy at gmail.com we've been getting quite a few of those lately and i really do enjoy it i will say if you don't hear your case that you suggest right away it will come up eventually we just do have a lot of them shockingly for the small little show that we are we have like a yeah, long we didn't list get any for so long we didn't and all of a sudden it's like boom and now i have like a a waiting list of case suggestions to do so that's really cool though um again i've said it before we wouldn't hear about a lot of these cases without you guys telling us about them and those are really the cases that that we want to share and that we want to like yellow yell to the rooftops about so yeah Mm -hmm. continue to send us your case suggestions i've talked enough for one day (laughs) and i want to go turn some lights on in my house now katie looks like the power is off in her house so maybe you should light a candle i don't know but i hope you guys have an awesome week and we'll see you next week and we love you Bye. bye i'll call you soon okay Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.